Let's do it. Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we're going to try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and give us a call? we got all our lines wide open. You just give us a call. We're going to try to put you right at the top of the list, answer any questions you might have. Right now is the perfect time to call, too. That's it. It really is. So just in case you don't feel like calling in or something occurred to you later on during the week, you can always visit the website and get your questions answered there. The address is www.agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that's Altazan's Garage Company. There's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night. And just type what you're looking for. There's a list there. You can fill out your list so we'll know exactly what we're working on. Just send it on and we'll get your answer back to you within 24 hours. That's right. And anytime you go into any kind of diagnostics, and I don't care whether it's your stomach hurting or your car broke or whatever. Right. A lot of diagnostics is history. For instance, if you have a chronic problem with your heart, you need to tell the doctor that. Or if you've had several chest pains over the last six weeks, and now you've got, you need to tell the doctor that. Because the more he knows about the things leading up to it, the more likely he is to quickly go to the proper problem. Exactly the same with your car. If this problem started right after the timing belt was replaced. Well, you need to tell the guy that because that is going to save a whole lot of time and trouble. And money. Checking. And money. Well, time is money, obviously. Exactly. And so when you send me a email, always try to give me as much information about what's going on as possible. I had a guy a while back. He says, well, whenever I shift into second gear, my car starts cutting out and dying. Okay. So I said, well, is it only when you shift into second gear or is it any gear above first he says well no it's only in second gear i said well it sounds like maybe something in the transmission he wrote no the alternator was bad i said well that wouldn't affect oh no he does it in every gear well if you give bad information you're, you're gonna get bad answer. results exactly. <laughs> exactly right so you gotta be kind of careful about the way you describe it because you gotta remember i can't see the car right and i'm not checking the car so if you give me the wrong information you're gonna get the wrong answer back which is not gonna help you at all so Pop on there and see what you think. If you hadn't been on there in a while, I would urge you to go on there. If you've never been on there, I would urge you to look at it. But if you hadn't been there in a while, you'd be very surprised because that site changes every single day. Exactly. I add and update content on a daily basis. Put an article on there this morning on U-joints and drive shafts. Mm -hmm. And that's something that a lot of people think they know a lot about, but there's some little things that have changed. Drive shafts are largely aluminum, and you can't just take a hammer and beat them out like you could at one time. That's right. You'll end up with a vibration from hell and a, that, that is <laughs> and a, very, new, and a new drive shaft. <laughs> extremely difficult, if not impossible, to get back out. That's right. Well, you end up with a new drive shaft begotten. Drive shafts can run anywhere from seven to $1,100 pretty easily, some of them more than that. So not something you want to damage. Also, what are all the symptoms of a U-joint? Because there are symptoms that most people are used to the clunk when you put it in gear. And right. that is one way that a dry shaft goes bad, but it's certainly not the only way. It, no. It's sort of like saying, well, you know, I don't have a clunk, so my U-joint's not bad. Well, it's like saying, I don't have a fever, so I, I'm not sick. <laughs> you may be eating up with lung cancer and not have a fever. Right. <laughs> That's only one test. So pop on there and see what you think. It'll tell you an awful lot about that and many, many, many other subjects. Put one in there last week on brake fluid. A lot of folks have read that and really got a lot out of it. So go in there see what you think. I think you'll really like it. www.agcoauto.com. And we're going to our phone lines with John. Good morning, John. Hey, guys, I got a quick question. Sure. My son's got a 2000 Civic. Okay. And the AC doesn't work. And I think it, oh, I know it's the compressor is out. The question I have is, is that on the car, when you press the button, turn defrost on, mm -hmm. 
doesn't that automatically turn the compressor on? Generally, but there are circumstances under which it may not. What it does, when you push that button, that's not a button at all. It's a sensor, and it's sending a request to the body module for AC. And if the outside temperature is below a certain point, or if the refrigerant pressure is too low, or any one of a couple of other things, it's not going to energize the clutch on the compressor. All right. Well, my question is, is you know, with the weather that we've been having, mm-hmm. cold and rainy, right? I would like him to be able to turn his defrost on. But if if the bearing is froze in the compressor and he turns that compress and he turns the defrost on, and it kicks that compressor on, is it going to snap that belt? Probably not. If the if the bearing is froze in the in the compressor, in not the, the clutch. If it's the cl- compressor itself has seized up, but the clutch is still good. Well, the clutch is bad, it'd do it all the time. It would have to be the compressor froze up and the clutch is freewheeling. If if the clutch was froze up, you wouldn't be able to drive it at all. It would be froze up all the time. That's true. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, chances are it's going to recognize too much amperage on that circuit and shut it down. But, I mean, if you want to be safe, you can always unplug it. Just unplug the little wires from the clutch. There's a little connector right there at the clutch. Just pull that off, and that way he can go ahead and run his defrost and everything, and, and it won't command it at all. Perfect. All right. I'll, I'll do that. The car is a teenager's car. You know how yeah. they go. It's, oh, it's yeah. The air, the air conditioning repair would be worth more than the car. Is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you, once a compressor goes apart like that, it's yeah. almost impossible to repair it because the metal gets out in the system. And if you don't Let's change the, the system, yeah, right. I mean, you got to change the condenser. You got to change the expansion valve. I mean, receiver dryer. By the time you do all that and flush it out, like I say, you spent more than the car is worth, literally. Yeah, that's right. That's right. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you, man. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Good question. I think it probably, you could bump it and just see what happens. The computer may recognize, hey, this is too much draw here and shut that system down and just blow the frost. If it doesn't, I mean, just unplug it right there at the compressor. Right. You'll still get a command to it, but with no hookup, it's not going to come on. That's correct. And what you don't want to do, of course, is ignore it, turn it on, and burn something else up. Well, at at the very least, you're going to throw the belt, maybe burn the belt up. Right, at least. (laughs) Yeah, at the very least. Let's go back to our phone lines with Mark. Good morning, Mark. Hey, how you doing? Doing great, sir. Yeah, I have a car problem. Okay. If you can help me with it, will you? Sure, I'll try. Okay. I don't have one. There you go. That's a so, problem. That's a big problem, isn't it? <laughs> I'll meet you at the dealership now. <laughs> there you go. No, I got a 84 Trans Am. Mm-hmm. Lost the keys to it. Okay. How hard is it to get that cylinder out? Uh, the cylinder out of the steering column? Right. You have to disassemble part of the steering column to take it out. You got to take the-, the steering wheel off. You mm-hmm. got to take the lock plate, the horn ring. Mm-hmm. the blinker switch, and once you get the blinker switch out, then there's a screw you can back out that's right underneath the ignition switch, and then switch pops right out the column. Now, let me ask you this, Mark. Does the same key fit the door and the ignition, or is it two no, different keys? No, no. Okay. And I, I lost both of them. Okay. I lost, lost both sets. Okay. But mm-hmm. now, about how much time are you talking about? For somebody that's been in it before, hour, hour and a half tops. Mm-hmm. Somebody that hasn't been in it before and doesn't have the right tools. Three days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, look, I, I, Three days, two boxes of band aids. I used to have a shop thirty years ago, not uh-huh. too far from yours. Yeah. We used to uh, see each other at May's Cafe. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, another question. Uh-huh. I'd parked it mm-hmm. and I started driving another car. Okay. And I put a battery in it, and it was like it was trying to weld. Do you think that's going to be a problem up in the steering column, or is maybe there a short in the solenoid? Who knows, man. man what you no need telling. to do, Mark, is probably just pull all the fuses out of the fuse box first. Just take every one of them out, 
and hook it and see if it's gone. And if it's gone, then start hooking them back in one at a time. That'll tell you where the problem is. Okay, now. You now, if just, you pull all of them and it's still there, it's going to be something to start itself. Okay, you just reminded me of another problem. <laughs> Go ahead. The alarm wasn't working, so I brought it to an alarm place. And this uh-huh. guy gets under the, He starts dropping fuses all over the floorboard. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Some of them were relays that didn't have numbers, and I didn't know where they went. Okay. So, you know, he really put me in a between mm-hmm. a rock and a bigger rock down yeah. there. Mm-hmm. But is there any way I can take a look at a 84 Trans Am fuse box and see what goes where? Sure. If you, if you had one to look at, do you, I don't guess you still got the owner's manual for it, do you? No, uh-uh. 84, you know, you, most of your service data is going to be gone, too. Yeah. You might just go online and yeah. see... I mean, somebody has probably got an owner's manual, and it probably it may already be online. I've, just I've, type in, type it in in Google. Yeah, I've Googled that kind of stuff and come up with stuff all the time. Some of these forums, somebody's mentioned it, and somebody puts a picture. If not, maybe a general request on one of the Pontiac forums. Somebody in there probably have it and pop it on there for you because. We subscribe to service data, but it cuts out that far back. I think it only goes back to about 92 well, I, or so. I went by the dealership, uh-huh. and I wanted to talk to one of the older guys. Yeah, that, I kind of doubt them having yeah, anything that old either. Though. Oh, I got Most of them guys are gone by now. Yeah. I was asked to leave for trying to get He said, bring the car in, and, and you know, we'll write up a ticket. Uh-huh. I just had a couple questions. Yeah, you know? yeah. They're pretty mean these days. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I understand. But, okay, look, I like light colors as far as that Mercedes goes, so I'll see you out there. There ain't no problem. You think you got problems now. (laughs) Yeah, buddy. Go get that. (laughs) You guys have a good day. Thank you now. Bye-bye. All right, and we got John on line. Good morning, John. Morning, Lewis. How are you doing? I'm great, sir. I have a 2001 Dodge Ram 1500 series. Uh Uh-huh. I am having to replace the radiator. Okay. They have some plastic grommets in the front of the radiator. It's like it shrouds some insulation. Is there a certain? It's like a little plastic screw, and it goes into the radiator. Is there a certain way to take those out? Mm, I'm not is familiar it, with that, John. Is it a push pin? It's like a little plastic push pin. That, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. It, right. it looks like a screw, but it's right. not really a screw. Some of them are just a push pin. You just push them in. And they lock. Some of them push the housing in and then push a pin in in front of it. And some of those have a screw head on them. Okay. You just take and unscrew the, the screw head as best you can. If you can't get it to it, unscrew, you've got to kind of pry it out. It's not going to directly unscrew, but if you turn it, it'll kind of start coming up. Then you can grab it with something and just pull, pull it. it out. It's not you catch it with your fingernails and pull it out. But what it does, it sticks down in there. It spreads some little tangs under there, kind of like a drywall anchor. Yes, yeah, so that's and, what and, it does. It, yeah. That's right. Okay. It's a two-piece. Yeah, just get like a Phillips screwdriver, put it down in a little slot, turn it gently, don't press down, just gently rotate it and see if it'll start coming up. And if you get up a little bit, like I said, you might catch it with your fingernails, maybe a little tiny screwdriver, and just pry up on it, it'll pull up. It's going to come up about, what, quarter, three-eighths of an inch? Maybe. And then yeah. you can pull, catch the bigger piece under it, and it'll pull, pull the whole out. thing out. It goes down in there, it spreads out, so it can't come out, and that's how it holds. But once you pull a little center out, then the bottom will collapse in, you can just zip it on out of there. Okay, I appreciate you. All, all righty, man. Thank all you. Right. Bye-bye. If right, you want to be part of the automotive buy, we would love to have you. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call because I try to help you out and point you in the right direction. And we're going to take one quick little break, but we will be right. That's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. It winds from Chicago. Agco presents ACSI. Automotive Crime Scene Investigation. Morning, Mac. Let's pop the hood and see what we got. Well, Detective, the owner thought he was doing good to get the timing belt replaced. 
The shop replaced the belt, but didn't change out the water pump. And six months later, there's coolant leaking all over, and... This poor vehicle and owner got belt slapped. Inferior repair work can cost you time and money down the road. Take your vehicle to Agco Automotive, where we fix it right the first time. Jeez, this whole job needs to be done again. Looks like we need to get this baby over to the professionals at Agco. Yep, I'd definitely say this was a case of bad timing. Mac, leave the jokes to me, okay? Sorry. To learn how to prevent your car from becoming a victim, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go because taking your vehicle somewhere else could be a crime. Join us at the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between the two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go ahead and just give us a call? We're glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. We've got Joe online. Good morning, Joe. Yeah, bought my son a uh, 2003 Lexus SC300. Uh huh. Got like 200,000 miles on it. Okay. That. Power steering pump is, uh, we knew it's been leaking, and he told us it was bad. Mm-hmm. We got to where it was leaking so bad every two days we'd have to fill it up. That's pretty dangerous, Joe. So well, what happened is a month ago, he accidentally put brake fluid in it. Okay. And ever since then, it has not leaked. It has not leaked a drop. Yeah. It's been running great. No power steering. It's running. Yeah. What's going to happen, though, you see, what that did is it swole the seals up in it, which made it leak. But it's also going to deteriorate the seals in it. So now not only have you got a bad power steering pump, but you can have two hoses and a rack and pinion when it comes back which is going to come back pretty soon. All right. So basically, so. you took about a $300 job and turned it into about a $2,000 job. Oh, okay. So uh, <laughs> go ditch the car. Okay. Yeah, it's coming back. It just swells the seals up, and like I said, it'll temporarily. It's like that stop leaking that junkie buy. Yeah, it'll temporarily swell the seals up and stop it, but it's going to deteriorate all the rubber in there, and then you end up buying a whole new system. All right, so the first major sign he'll notice is what? Well, you'll notice you're going to lose your steering or it'll start locking up in one direction. It'll start pouring fluid out of things. The problem is, Joe, is that power steering fluid is very flammable and it is right on the exhaust manifold. I would not be driving that car with power steering leak. I have seen two or three dozen cars catch on fire and burn to the ground, and a couple of people burn to the ground on account of that. Okay. No, that's it's on the six. He thought he found the cure uh, of all cures, so... Uh, I guess he's wrong. No, fluid's under three to 600 pounds of pressure, and if it the wrong little spot happens to blow out and sprays on the exhaust manifold, it's going to be bad, bad news. Okay. Even if I suck it out, it's still too late, right? Well, it's, it's, all it's through the system kind, of, kind of like washing your hands after you got the flu, you know? <laughs> okay. okay, good deal. Uh, all righty. Thank you so much. Okay, man. Bye-bye. Right, if you want to be part of the automotive hour, I would love to have you. You know, that's a big problem. Yeah, Putting oh, the yeah. wrong fluid in the wrong reservoir. That happens a lot, and there's so much of this junk on the market, and these, excuse my French, dumb butt guys in these parts houses who try to sell this stuff, stop, leak this, stop, leak that. There just is not a magic bullet. No, there's not. If something's leaking, something's worn out or damaged, there's no liquid you're going to dump in there that's going to fix that. That's it right. just ain't going to happen. I think probably the worst as far as cost, is like the stuff they put in air conditioners. Right. You dump this junk into an air conditioner, and what it does is two kinds. One is a seal sweller, like this one, which will wipe all your seals out. The other one is a material that gets hard when it hits the air. 
And what happens is as it leaks out, it hits the air, it hardens, so it temporarily seals that leak. Right. But the problem is inevitably when all of the refrigerant leaks out or when you go to service it and the air hits it, it hardens throughout the entire system. And now you've got a contaminated system. You've well, got number one, we're going to put a little machine on it that's going to check it before we start because if you suck that into a recycle machine, it's going to ruin it. And that's right. about 7000 bucks, so we ain't going to do that. And as soon as we see it's contaminated, we're going to say, hey, sorry, you got hazardous waste. Nothing we can do. That's right. And now you're on your own. But even if you find somebody who could work on it, which I don't know who that would be, you're going to be changing every single piece of that system. Every component, everywhere that refrigerant touch, which is every piece of the system, is going to have to be changed. And that gets real expensive real fast. Oh, man. Yeah, you, you're uh, talking about taking a whole dashboard apart. To get it's the evaporator real, out. It's real disheartening to open the doors and see the firewall. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Boy, I tell you what. Oh, yeah. That's se- a sight. Seat out, steering column out, every oh, piece yeah. of it out. I mean, just the labor alone would total the car. And you're talking about a huge number of parts as well. So don't ever, ever fall prey to that kind of junk. There is no magic bullet. Nothing's going to seal anything up. The only way to fix it is to fix it. Right. Yeah, you will be way, way sorry trying that kind of stuff. I can tell you. Let's go back to our phone lines with Randy. Good morning, Randy. Good morning. Yes, Good morning. Sir. I got a, an 05 Chrysler 300 with mm-hmm. the Hemi in it. Okay. Good car. I love it. But mm-hmm. here lately, when I fill it up with gas, uh-huh. and even if I just let it click off and don't top it off, for the first four or five miles, sometimes uh-huh. it'll die, sometimes it'll run rough, and then after that, it's fine. Really? Yep. That's kind of peculiar, Randy. I hadn't heard that exact symptom. It, it never does it any other time other than when it's totally full of gas? That's the only time it does. And a partner of mine says they got a deal where it's supposed to take the fumes off the tank. Well, it does, but that one uses a leak detection pump. It doesn't right. use engine vacuum to do that. So it shouldn't right. affect the way that it runs. However, you know, who knows? It could be something in that EVAP system. But like I said, the Chrysler doesn't use engine vacuum. It uses a leak detection pump. So yeah, but I mean, I it could miles, be just if you can get on the interstate, right? Up, you fill it and go, it's fine. Right. But if you're stopping at red lights, right, it'll die. It's got to be sucking some excessive fumes, and I would imagine at some point in time, somebody may have worked on or around that tank, and something is not exactly right there. Something's hooked. I've had it since it was new; it ain't never been touched. Yeah, you never know, though, man. They do all yeah. kinds of stuff at the dealership before you ever see those cars. Yeah, you may have a vacuum line that's wrong. I mean, I guess it could be something like a pressure transducer or one of the purge solenoids is hung open and it's yeah. sucking a little gas instead of just fumes. Yeah. Right. See, the right. way it's supposed to work is that when the sender unit tells the PCM that it's got more than three-quarters of a tank of gas, right. it's supposed to abort the EVAP test. It shouldn't run because of this problem. Uh-huh. So, Because it can suck gas through there, which will richen the mixture up on the engine and make it run really, really bad. I mean, it's possible you could even have something in the PCM that's just not telling that thing not to run the test when it's full. But I don't yeah. know why. I guess once it uses a little bit out of there, you know, it no longer sucks it out. But it's right. got to be got sucking room. some fumes somewhere. That'd be the only thing I can think of is sucking gas when it should be sucking fumes. Right, right. Would that show up on a diagnosis? You well, know, what you would have to do, what I would do, Randy, first I would smoke test the vehicle to see if there's any kind of leakage or anything anywhere in that system. If not, I would probably go back there and manually check. I mean, if it's got a check engine light, then, yeah, it will. But, see, it checks that. that. If it doesn't have a check engine light, it doesn't know it's occurring. But you got to remember, a check engine light or any diagnosis can only catch electrical problems. For instance, there is a solenoid at that tank called a vent solenoid, and there's another one called a purge solenoid. Now, if the electrical windings of that solenoid are shorted or open, the computer knows about it. But if right. the valve is physically stuck open, it has no way to know. Right. 
You see, okay. so it could be well, something like that. Bring, bring me a list, I'll check it out. Yeah, I mean, it's not anything that couldn't be found. It'd probably be a little difficult because you can't just plug in and get an answer. But, I mean, it could be found, I'm sure. What if it's going to be an expensive diagnosis, though? Uh, who knows? Probably less than two hours, I would think. You know, so it's okay. not going to be horribly bad. You know, even if you got to okay. drop the tank down, probably less than a couple hours. Okay. All righty. All right, well, I appreciate the info. Okay, Randy. Thank you, man. Have a good day. Bye-bye. All right, if you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we got Gainer online. Good morning, Gainer. Hey, you guys. How you doing? Great, man. Good morning. Hey, I got an 03 Suburban that's mm-hmm. really taking a long time to start. Yes, sir. Cranks, but won't start. It'll crank. Well, no, it'll mm-hmm. start. It starts, and once it mm-hmm. starts, it runs fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you're trying to start it, it's just yep. it's just turning over a yeah. whole lot yeah. more oh, than yeah. it did when it was young. Yeah, very, very okay. common. Very common is your fuel pump is going out. Okay, you don't think it's leakage through the injectors or anything no. like that? Two possibilities. Fuel pump is by far the most common. The second is the fuel pressure regulator. That's real easy to check. Look up on the fuel rail, a little silver deal. Side. Yeah, driver's Mid- side. Midway. About okay. an inch in diameter. There's a little rubber hose on it. Pull that uh-huh. rubber hose off and tap, 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 tap it on something. If any gas comes out of that hose, then replace fuel pressure regulator. But that's relatively rare. And fuel pump is very, very common. I'll tell you how you can tell is next time you go to start it, rather than just starting it, turn the key to on so dash lights come on. Right. Turn it off. Wait 10 seconds. Wait about 10 seconds. Do that again. Do that twice. And then hit it and see if it starts right up. Actually, just recently I started doing that, and that's exactly how it behaves. Yeah, so it's got a check valve in the fuel pump. What's happening? The fuel pressure is leaking down to the tank. So it has to push fuel all the way from the back of the truck up to the front. How many miles you got? It's uh, just under 90. Yeah, you about right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Chevrolet fuel pump, 90 to 100. That's pretty common. Right now, Gainer, you got the choice of picking where you want to get it fixed and all that. If you wait until it quits running on you when you're going out to eat on a Saturday night with your wife and you're all dressed up, then you're going to have it's a whole raining. lot, whole lot it's raining. <laughs> you have a whole lot bigger problem. Plus, you're going to be under the gun to get it fixed. So, Plus I mean, the tow bill. So, yeah, it's not an emergency. I mean, it's going to probably keep doing this for a month or so, but okay. I would probably go ahead and start looking at getting that thing replaced while it's convenient for me. Now, when you take it somewhere to have it done, mm-hmm. don't go in and tell them you need a fuel pump. No, just tell them what just it's doing. Them, ex- that, tell them exactly what you just told us. Yeah, and let okay. them diagnose and, it yeah. themselves. Right. Okay, and if it is a fuel pump, about how big of a job is that? Pretty big. Yeah, you got to take the fuel tank yeah, out. Yeah, gas tank's got to come out two and a half hours later plus the pump. The pump's probably four or five hundred bucks. They're expensive. Okay, so there's nothing I want to attempt in the driveway. How handy you are and how much time yeah, you got, buddy? you're real, real handy. I tell you, if you wanted to do it in the driveway yourself, have you got a few neighbors that are good friends of yours? Yeah, pretty good. Okay, you could take the bed off the truck. That's a Suburban. Oh, it's, it's a suburban. suburban. I'm You're sorry. Right. I was thinking yeah. pickup. Yeah, forget that. No, yeah. you got to drop the tank. Man, that tank is in on a suburban, suburban is, is big. a nightmare. It's a nightmare. It's it's Bulky. under some of the cross members. It's hard to get out. Yeah, doing it in the driveway is going to be a, a real tough job because Not of the tank. It's a 27 gallon tank, I think. Big tank. It's a big yeah. tank, and it's long. Long, and, and you got to wedge it out. You got to kind of tip it up right. and it then drop it under the rear axle down. and then tilt it the other way. It's it's a lot more than you want to tackle in yeah, the driveway. Yeah, if it gets away from you, it's going to beat you up underneath that truck pretty bad. So Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, I mean, the labor is not all that much. It's the price it's the of the parts. pump. And, I mean, you can always get a junk pump, but then you, you ain't going to get 90000 out of it. You can get about twenty. So, right. Uh, yeah, you want to buy an AC Delco exact replacement pump. They're, they're the best of the worst. Good deal. Okay. Fine. All righty. I appreciate it. Thanks, all right. Sir. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. You want to be part of the Automotive Hour? We would love to have you. Yeah, see. Kind of up against a break here, but we're going to take a couple more of these calls before we go. We got David online. Good morning, David. Good morning, fellas. How y'all doing? Doing great, morning? sir. Good morning. Man, I'll tell you what. I always enjoy listening to the Automotive Hour. Well, thanks, well, thank sir. You. 
Look, what I've got, Lewis, is I've got a 2002 Nissan Xterra, uh-huh. and the service engine light just came on. Okay. I did bring it to the local auto, gave me the code, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't know what to do with these codes. Uh-huh. I don't know how They to don't work. either. <laughs> <laughs> what codes have you got, David? I got two codes. One's a, you want me to tell you? Yeah, just the numbers. Yeah. P.O. Yeah, P.O. 328 and P1444. P1444. That's P1444, I'm sorry. Those are not real common. Yeah, I was going to say something on the EVAP system. That's got a purge valve and a vent valve, but it doesn't mean the valve's bad. It means that what is happening is that the computer's commanding EVAP and it can't hold a vacuum on those solenoids. So it could be a vacuum line off. It could be a bad solenoid. could be a number of things. Probably need to bring it in. Let me check it. It wouldn't take that long to diagnose that, and chances are it's not a real big problem. Okay. All right. Well, guess what, Lewis? Yes, sir. I did schedule an appointment for Monday morning. You're a good man. <laughs> All right. You're getting ahead of the curve then, huh? That's right. That's right. I, I called your lovely wife, and she scheduled me for Monday morning. Well, good deal. Great. Sounds great, also, man. Also, I, I guess I'll get some feedback from you. About 115,000 miles on it. Yeah. You know, I'm, just routine maintenance, preventative maintenance. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, we've done a fair amount on that little truck. I think it should be pretty good as far as maintenance goes. Yeah. We'll look it over and see. Yeah. Okay, Lewis. Okay. Y'all have a good weekend. Thanks, though. sir. All right, now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Right. There you go. This <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Let's see if we can catch maybe one more call before our break. We've got Ernest online. Good morning, Ernest. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. How y'all doing? Doing great, sir. Right. I've got an O2 Jeep Cherokee. Uh-huh. And I noticed one day in traffic the... Uh, Check gauge light came right, on. Right, right. All right. Okay. And my oil pressure was down to zero. Uh-huh. The engine runs perfectly right, and everything. Right, I gave it the gas. The pressure went up a little bit. Yeah. And when I got to another red light, it did the same. Yeah. Ernest, I can tell you what's real common on those. The oil pressure sender unit loses its range over a period of time. So it doesn't necessarily quit reading, but maybe 20 PSI indicates 5 PSI okay, rather than like it is. So if it drops below 20, which is still adequate to run the car, it thinks it's zero, so it kicks the light on. That's very common on them. And yeah, because I got on the highway with it, mm-hmm. and I mean, it runs the, the engine well, perfectly. What we do, Ernest, we take that little sender unit out and screw a known good gauge in there and read it, and if the actual pressure is fine, then we just replace the sender unit. Okay. But you don't want to skip that step because there is a possibility that it could be losing oil pressure. That's and so you, you want to verify it. It doesn't take that much oil pressure to keep the engine running. 10 pounds per 1,000 RPMs right. is adequate. So if it's just losing oil pressure at times and coming right back up, you may not notice it immediately. Eventually, it'll burn the engine up. So right. we do want to go in and verify that it does have oil pressure. But if it's reading zero and it's obviously got 20 to 30 pounds, then we know the sending unit's bad. We just replace sending unit. Fairly cheap and fairly common problem. What's the average cost on that? Oh, I don't know. Probably less than a half hour's labor to do it and parts probably 25, 30 bucks. Okay. All right. I'll set up something with you. Okay, All sir. Right, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, sir. Bye. All right. We got to take a quick little break. Bruce and Rick, you guys hang on. You'll be straight up after the break. A. CSI. Automotive Crime Scene Investigation. Detective, what do we got? Chief, looks like this poor car took quite a beating. I think the owner tried to maintain the vehicle properly, but he took it to the dealership for a transmission service. The dealership? Not Agco? Yep, and instead of quality service, he got a wallet flush. 
The dealership didn't remove the oil pan or replace the filter. They even used the wrong fluid. Don't let a wallet flush happen to you. Take your vehicle to Agco Automotive, where you can trust our honest, knowledgeable team to do the job right. What kind of monsters treat an innocent car like this? I don't know, but I do know that we need to get this car to Agco ASAP so they can give it some TLC. Nice acronyms, detective. Thanks, sir. To learn how to prevent your car from becoming a victim, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go because taking your vehicle somewhere else could be a crime. Welcome back. If you just join us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Altazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. And we got Rick's been patiently holding. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Lynn. How are you doing down there? Doing great, sir. I say down there, I'm up in the Boris Parish, and I just listen to you. Just That's right, man. You way, you way up north there, man. Yeah, just a <laughs> Darn near Yankee, you know? <laughs> Close to it. Still got the That's it. <laughs> now, I got a, a transmission. It's in a 1999 Toyota Tacoma. Uh-huh. And it shifts terrific like it's supposed to. Uh-huh. But one day, just like you turn off the switch, uh-huh. my passing gear quit. Okay. It's like there never was a passing gear. I'm going to tell you what you need to check first, Rick. Does the vehicle look like it's getting the full operating temperature? Yeah, it does. Okay. It's well, there's, normal, halfway up. There's two sensors on there. One operates the gauge, and the other one operates the computer. You're going to need to get somebody to check the one that operates the computer. Because on a Toyota, if it thinks it's below 180 degrees, or if it is below 180 degrees, it won't go to passing gear. It locks okay. it out. What it wants to do is heat the engine up as fast as it can. So it doesn't want it going in the, in the high gear. So it holds it at a lower gear and runs it up a little faster. That's probably the most common thing. Now, there's probably a lot of other things it could possibly be, but I would sure check that before I went and spend any money on anything real major, you know? Yeah. Beyond that... Yeah. You'd have to have a Toyota scan tool and see what's being commanded. If it's commanding passing gear and it's not going in, well, the next step would be to put a pressure gauge on the transmission. If the pressure is rising like it's supposed to, but it's not physically going in gear, now you got a problem inside the transmission. If the pressure's not rising, you could have a stuck solenoid. See, it's got solenoids. The computer comes on, commands them open. When it does, it brings pressure up, which applies those clutches, and that's what makes it go to the gear. So, okay. but I would sure check and just make sure that you don't have a bad temperature sensor. It's called electronic temperature sender unit. And tell them you want the one for the computer, not the one for the gauge. It's hard to check. If you got a Toyota scan tool, you can plug on. You feel, it gives you a reading for it. Okay. When you're looking at the gauge, when you, you're seeing a different one. So that kind of fools a lot of folks. But that would be one thing. It just about stopped shifting a while back, and I changed the filter. Mm-hmm. I changed the oil. Mm-hmm. And then it go, it go, and it wouldn't shift. Mm-hmm. Change it on a filter again, it started shifting great like it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. And passion gear worked great, and all of a sudden it just cut out. And I yeah. didn't want to get my head anything to do with it. Well, it could, you know, and again, it may be a loose wire on a solenoid or a bad solenoid inside the pan because when you drop that filter, you're shaking all those solenoids around. You know, they're all right there on the valve body. You're kind of okay. bump, bumping them around, but. Again, unless you're real, real, real handy and you got a lot of service data and know how it all works, it's awful hard to check that stuff without a scan tool. Uh, yeah, if, I can imagine. Yeah, if you got a Toyota scan tool, I mean, you can just drive the car and see if it's commanding all the gears. Now, see, if it's not commanding the gear, we know it's not getting an input. 
if it is okay. commanding the gear and it's not going in, the next step is just do a pressure test, which tells you if it's inside or outside. And we do change some solenoids for that problem. And that solenoid can be replaced, I think, without taking transmission out. I think you have to drop the pan, drop the valve body, and you can change just that solenoid. Okay, well, great then. That helps. All righty. Thanks a lot. Okay, lady. Rick. Thank you, man. You're welcome. Bye-bye. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we would love to have you. And we got Bruce online. Good morning, Bruce. Good morning. Yes, sir. Good morning, sir. How's it going? Ah, great, man. All righty. I just got a question about the fuel pump in that Suburban. Uh -huh. I was called about. Yeah. Doesn't anybody make a decent replacement? No. It seems like somebody would have <laughs> now. You would think. It seems like it. It seems like somebody would make a decent everything, Mr. Bruce. But I'll tell you the truth. Parts are so bad now, there are literally some jobs that we refuse to do. Just because I can't fix them. I cannot get a part for it, and I can't fix it. And it, I know that defies all logic. I know nobody wants to hear that, but I'm just telling you the way it is. There are certain things you can't fix on cars now. Parts are the worst the worst parts you've ever seen in your entire life out there right now. Well, hopefully, uh, from what I've heard, NASCAR is fixing to go to fuel injection. Yeah. And maybe... If you use the same fuel pump they yeah. use in those Who knows, cars, man? See, the problem is, well, the well, problem is, see, they're not concerned except for anything but volume and pressure. Longevity is not an issue to them. If that fuel pump makes 500 miles, they'll take it out and throw it away and put another one. They got an unlimited budget. Yeah, well, you're right about that. See, they, I don't have those millions. That's right. I mean, all they want is that thing to be consistently perfect pressure with plenty of volume for a short period of time. Well, all, all you're going to get now is the cheap stuff that's made offshore with a NASCAR label on it. Yeah, probably. I'm <laughs> actually putting together an article right now on fuel pumps, Mr. Bruce, and it's going to have some tips on there, some things you can do to make yours last longer and all that. So keep watching the website. That should be coming out here in another two or three weeks. Well, you better mail me a letter because I don't know anything about a computer. Oh, Lord oh. have mercy, man. you you trouble now. <laughs> get your grandson to show you how to do it, man. <laughs> uh, well, I don't have any of those, but uh, my daughter's pretty there you go. There go over to your daughter's house. Tell her to get you to agcoauto.com. Okay, thank you. All right, Bruce. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, if you want to be part of the automotive fire, we're going to take our last quick little break, and we will be right back with more. AGCO presents ACSI, Automotive Crime Scene Investigation. Okay, rookie, I gotta warn you. Some of what you see at an automotive crime scene ain't pretty. I think I can handle it. Let's see. Looks like the car got one of those discount brake jobs. And of course, the shop used cheap aftermarket brake pads. And the owner called us in because the car was squealing and shaking when it braked. Don't let discount repair work cause future problems that cost you more in the long run. Take your vehicle to Agco Automotive, where we use quality parts that provide the lowest overall cost for vehicle repairs. Here, let me pull this off so you can see the rotors. Oh, my goodness. Yep, warped like the dickens. Well, I think I'm going to be sick. <laughs> Rookie, looks like we need to get this car to Agco quick. To learn how to prevent your car from becoming a victim, visit agcoauto.com. That's A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Agco, it's the place to go because taking your vehicle somewhere else could be a crime. <laughs> Hey, 
Welcome back. If you just joined us, this is the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvazan, president of Agco Automotive. We've got Mr. Brian Terry, our lead tech, here with us. Between two of us, I think we can answer just about any questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us calls, and we'll be glad to try to help you out and point you in the right direction. That's right, and if you'll hurry up and get your question in, we'll have time to answer it today. That's right, because we are getting pretty tight they, there, but I think we got a little bit more time to we do. answer some questions. But if you happen not to make the, the, cut. the cut, all right, <laughs> you can always visit the website and get right. your questions answered there. That's right. The address is www.agcoauto.com. Mm-hmm. That's A-G-C-O. A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on every page. You can send Lewis an email any time of the day or night and get your questions answered. There's also three databases you can search depending on how much information you're looking for. There's the vehicle questions, which gives you a straight to the point answer to a mm-hmm. particular question. Then the detailed topics, which is more of a in-depth answer certain top and there's also the database for agco questions there's agco questions there's also a glossary on there if you just have a acronym or something that you don't understand that someone threw at you maybe somebody said a map sensor and you don't know what that is and you don't want to ask if, you, if you're a man you're not gonna ask if you're a woman you'll ask <laughs> <laughs> you can pop on there and look it up you got your iphone you oh yeah oh yeah map sensor yeah mount yeah. absolute pressure yeah yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah at the very least you know next time somebody throws it at you you know what they're talking that's right. about that's right and, you know, one other feature, on there is a button on the contact button. When you click on it, it is going to give you our physical address. But more to the point, there's a little map. And if you click on that map, that's going to go to Google Maps uh-huh. and automatically has our shop located. Okay. Now, you can zoom in and zoom out, and it will basically give you turn-by-turn directions from anywhere in the world. So, so if you if want to come across Shang- the ocean. If you're in Shanghai... It'll yeah. tell you, get you on want to ship? go to yeah. <laughs> hop on board a freighter, come across the ocean there, you know, Pacific, and drive across the United States, and when you get to Louisiana. Directions right, yeah. on to the, take, right to the front take, door. Take I-12, turn around on the highway, turn left on Corsa Boulevard, and there you are a mile up on the right. There you are. Gee, couldn't get any easier. <laughs> but, yeah, a lot of folks do ask, you know, they'll call and they'll ask, where, where are y'all? Where uh-huh. are y'all? If you just go and hit the contact button, it's going to bring a map up. Like I say, you just click on that map, and it will show you. You can scroll down as close as you want. In fact, you can get down to where you can see the building. Oh, yeah. I was, I was playing Google on Maps. Google Earth the other oh, day. Oh, yeah, man. Wow, that thing is neat. Unbelievable. I was like, man, you know, if they're putting this on a civilian version. What, what, what exactly? Yeah, what can the military and the government do? <laughs> <laughs> they probably see us standing in this studio right now doing More this show. More than likely, yeah. Pop on there and see what you think. Just tons of things do. You'll probably run out of time before you run out of stuff to do on that site. And lots of good information. All of it's current. Pop on there is agcoauto.com. That's Altazan's Garage Company, A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. I think you'll really like it. And we're going back to our phone lines with Kathy. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, Louis. Yes, How are you ma'am. doing? Doing great, ma'am. Well, I have a question. I have a 2004 Jeep Liberty. Uh-huh. And we previously just recently started hearing the fuel pump making some noise. Mm-hmm. Not real loud or anything. Mm-hmm. But a little humming in the back. Yeah, just like the yeah that little humming noise mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. So we were wondering if that was something that means it's getting ready to go out. Fuel pump is probably going out, Kathy. How many miles on it? It's about one hundred and forty thousand. Yeah, wow. you probably passed due on that. I'm not 100% sure. I'd have to check service data. A lot of those still had a fuel filter on them. Some of them, the filter's part of the pump. If it's got a fuel filter and if that filter's restricted, it will certainly make that pump a lot louder. So if you want to send me an email on the website, I'll look it up for you to see if that one has a filter or not. If it does, I'd first change the filter. If that doesn't do it, then you might as well start planning for a fuel pump because once they start making noise, it's a matter of time. You can bring it into the shop, and we can put a digital lab scope on the power lead, and we can see the electrical profile of the motor. And I can tell you when it's fixing to go out because it has a real erratic profile instead of a smooth sine wave. 
But at 140,000, you're getting pretty close. And what's going to happen, Kathy, is that one day you're going to go somewhere and raining hot, whatever, in a hurry to get somewhere, and you hit the key, it won't start. So the advantage is right now, it's giving you some warning. It's your choice. You can get it fixed at a convenient time, at a convenient place, and you can avoid the record bill and the inconvenience. But generally, once they start making noise, unless the filter's plugged up, you got a problem. Okay, okay. And uh, how would you check, and you could put it on there to check to see if the fuel filter Yes, ma'am. Yeah, uh, you can send me an email on the website. I can check service down and tell if it's got a fuel filter or not. Oh, okay. Is the filter in the tank or is it Well, out? somewhere Some around way, that Somewhere around that year they broke They quit out. putting filters on them. They put it in the, it's right. part of the pump. You can't change the filter. Oh, okay. I'm not sure okay. on that one. So you'd have to check that. I would well. have to check service okay. data right. to see how it's built. Okay, well, I can certainly send you an email. Okay, do that. I'll look it up for you. You can look that up for All righty. Okay, Okay. Great. Thank you, ma'am. You're welcome. Y'all have a good weekend. All right. Thank you, ma'am. Bye-bye. I think we got time for maybe at least one more caller. We got Mark online. Good morning, Mark. Thank y'all for squeezing me in. Yes, I just sir. wanted to ask you, what's y'all's opinion on ethanol and gas? Because I've tried <laughs> my best to avoid it, but I have a supercharged motor, and yeah. it's hard to find the higher grade yeah. uh, non-ethanol. Mark, I don't like it at all. I mean, it causes more problems than it's going to ever, ever, ever solve in the world. But that being said, we really don't have much choice. I mean, virtually all the gas out there is going to have it. And they are even talking about trying to put more. GM Ford and Chrysler is coming unglued about it because they know what it's going to do. Ethanol, number one, has 33% less energy than gasoline. So when you put 10% ethanol, you can lose 3.3% of your mileage right off the bat. And if you do the math, I mean, that's going to more than offset the cost savings right there. Ethanol is also a very powerful detergent. If you put it in a car that's not designed to work with it, you can start dissolving lining in the fuel tank and causing all kinds of other issues. We had a guy the other day towed his car in. He had inadvertently put E85 in it in a ground yeah, fit. Yeah, and it, it pretty much took the car out. It quit running, plugged up the injectors and everything else. So, I don't know. It's, it's our politicians, man. What you going to do? You know, they're they going to tell you what you're going to get. They're going to save the world. But well, it, my truck is nine years old, and uh, and I've been trying to avoid putting ethanol in there, yeah. and I think I'm, you know, doing right because I really don't think being an O2 that it was made for. Well, it, it can yeah. tolerate 10%. You know, when I say tolerate, it's not the best thing in the world, but it's it's pretty robust. It can tolerate that. Now, if you put that in a 62, you definitely have some trouble. 92, pretty much you're going to have nylon fuel lines and all on it. you got an electronic fuel pump. It can pretty deal with 10%, but if they go to any more than that, we're going to be in trouble. Yeah. And it ain't the best thing in the world. You're going to lose some mileage when you do it. I got you. All right. Because it's just hard to find. And, I mean, I wish. It is. And the only places that don't are those little. And I'm a little, uh, I'm a little reluctant to buy gas from those guys anyway because I don't know. I, I think I'd rather have 10% in a major brand. Than, yeah, exactly. You know, you never know what you're getting there. Yeah. All righty. I sure appreciate it, gentlemen. All Thank right. You. Thank you, Mark. Bye-bye. I part of the automotive hour. What does that clock say? Try Squeeze as many yeah, as Yeah, take in. one more. Squeeze as many as we can in. We got Robert online. Come on, Robert. Hey, good morning. Yes, good sir. morning. I got a, a 2002 Chevy Suburban, uh-huh. and it works great. Yeah, idles rough. Let's go. The one is cold. Yeah, idles rough. Five minutes. Yeah. idles rough, and yeah. I don't know what's wrong. Intake manifold's leaking. Oh, it is? Yeah, plastic intake manifold, absolutely notorious for that problem. What happens, Robert, the reason it quits doing it when it warms up is because at 180 degrees, the oxygen sensors come online. Once the O2 sensors come online, they can compensate for it. They start adding additional fuel to cover up the leak. So it's still leaking, but it's covering it up. We can go in with a scan tool, and it's going to have probably a plus 15 to 20% fuel trim. 
when it gets 25%, it's going to kick the check engine light on. You have to do something. But, I mean, I would probably go ahead and get it fixed before that. Bring it in. We do those every day, all day long. Not, I mean, it's big-ish, but not huge type of job. Probably in the uh, $400 range somewhere. And when you replace the gaskets, you can't just change the gasket. There's some special little fasteners that are rubber loaded. And if you don't change those, it's coming right back again. I know the dealer never changes those because every time I try to buy them, they never have them in stock. I always got a special order them. So we actually stock them ourselves and keep them on the shelf, the little spacers. It's sucking some dirty air and some unmetered air into the engine, so it's not something you want to let go on. you got to fix it sooner or later. You might as well do it now. Okay, one other question. Yes, sir. Is it hurting the gas mileage? It's not going to hurt the gas mileage per se, maybe a little bit because it is adding additional right. fuel, but see, it's also adding additional air, so you can get the extra power from the fuel. It's not like you're just dumping fuel for no reason. Okay, well, I'll make an appointment and come in. Thank okay, you. man. Thank, right. thank you. Bye-bye. All right. think we... Ah, yeah, he's amazing. He keeps waving us on. Well, I tell you what, this guy is nice to us, huh? I'm telling you. We got Sarah in line. Good morning, Sarah. Uh, I have a 99 Mercury Sable, okay. and I, I've been told I have a transmission leak. Okay. And I just heard your com- commercial, uh-huh. and it talked about using the wrong transmission fluid. That's can, possible. Can, can you tell me what to put in uh, put in there until I can get it over to you? Well, a 99 model can use just about anything, Sarah. It takes a fluid called Mercon. But uh-huh. almost all fluid that you see nowadays is going to be Dextron Mercon capable. Now, on the later models, it takes Mercon 5 or SP or something like that. But a 99, you can just put regular Mercon in there. Uh, and there's almost any fluid you see. If you see the, the words Dextron Mercon on the label, which virtually everything is going to be, you could put that in there. Did you say Dexalon? Uh, Dexron. It's D-E-X-R-O-N Mercon. That's oh, just standard, okay. standard transmission fluid, basically. Uh, okay, Donnie. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you, ma'am. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. A lot of great questions Boy, this week. Oh, I tell you, great, great show. Hey, we got to get on out of here. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning all the motor car. We'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And all the nice emails that I get. Yeah. We really appreciate All you. right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend. <laughs>